my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Did y'all know Josh could sing? He sang here a minute ago. That's so good. That's so good. Thank you, guys. We just about wore you out this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, 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 it's good to be back in the house of the Lord today. Amen. The sound of dry bones rattling. Man, man. All right, with that in mind, you know, will you find your way in your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5, Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. Now, Lord, we ask you to take your word. And put it right in our hearts where we need it. We ask you that by your spirit you would open the eyes of our understanding. That you would cause the warmth of your fire in our hearts to just begin to cook. And that Lord you would cause there to be a receptive word. A receptive heart for your word this morning. Lord, we ask you to change us. We ask you to stir us. We ask you to convict us of the direction you want us to go. Confirm the path that we're on as it pleases you. And Lord, you said that we would know the Messiah has come because the Messiah, Jesus, would baptize us with his spirit and with fire. <laughs> Lord, we pray for a baptism, a fresh baptism of your spirit and fire. We would be so bold as to pray, Lord, you'd start something here that would just start a fire all over the place. The fire of your life and your love flowing through us would just ignite places all over that we touch but then places where this streaming broadcast is going. Lord, bless our brothers and sisters who are not physically present, but are, no doubt about it, spiritually connected with us. We are your body, and we sense your presence, and we bless you. Please take your word and use it for your glory this morning. In Jesus' name, would you say his name with me? The name Jesus, the name Jesus, the name Jesus. Now, we've been talking for the last several weeks along the lines of this question. Who's that talking to you? Who's that talking to you? Either the God of hope or the Father of lies. And we've been asking the Lord to give us a clear understanding, a distinguishing between the two. Amen? And then we talked some last week about, well, the one that can be talking to you, influencing our thinking, stirring our emotions, can be the one that we've handed a key to. We've given him, we've given him one of these keys that, that can get into a part of our hearts. And Ephesians 4, Paul will say to believers, don't, don't, be, don't give the devil a place. Don't give the devil a place within you. He can't take it, 
He can't force his way in, but you can be in agreement with him. And as you're doing that, you're handing him a key to your heart. And if you give a place in your heart to the second most powerful being in the universe, you can expect that from that place that he now has within your heart, he'll cause you problems. He'll cause you trouble. So the warning is, don't, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to sleep with anger stirring in your heart. And thereby, that's the context, thereby give the devil a place. Confess the sin. Confess the anger. Hand that back over to the Lord. Don't, don't give the devil the key of anger in your heart. You, you keep that key given to Jesus. And, you know, and, and we often say, and it's the, it's the right declaration, Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one who died on the cross and saved me, accomplishing forgiveness for my sins. But when we use the term Lord, he's Savior and he's my Lord, that, that means that, that he's in charge. That means that I've given him the keys of all the closets and all the shelves and all the doors and windows of my life. Jesus is Lord. He holds the keys to my heart. What happens, as we know, is that there can be some things that come along, some situations that happen to us, and, and we find ourselves out of intimidation or fear or, or, or just trying to, trying to get some comfort somewhere. We start handing the keys of our heart, not to Jesus, but we can hand them to other places, other forces, other settings, and the result is not freedom, the result is not a good place. The result is bondage. The result is entrapment and the way out again to confess the sin, renounce agreement with the enemy, resist the devil having done those things, confess, renounce agreement, plead the blood of Jesus, come in under the authority of the Lord, submit therefore to God, and that James 4, resist the devil Resist the devil in the place that you don't control, but it controls you. That can be an indication of some supernatural activity that's not Holy Spirit activity. If you can't quit it, can't stop it, then it can be that there's something supernatural there. There's a place that's been given to the enemy, and he, and he operates there. He and tries to you know, saw all the rest of our lives and, and cause our hearts to to be condemned as we go before the Lord so we don't pray boldly. We don't come regular to the Lord because of that place of being condemned. We confess the sin, renounce agreement, resist the devil. His promise is that he, he will flee. He will flee. He no longer has the key. He no longer has a right to be there. And then that last part, receive the Spirit, receive the filling of the Spirit. Lord, in that place, where I had given the key to darkness, I'd given the key that you should have had. I gave it to something else. I'm asking you to fill that place with your spirit, to fill that place where I had been controlled by darkness. I'm asking you to fill that place with your control. Would you raise your hand this morning as a testimony if you have known the Lord's ability to do that in your life? A place that used to control you, now that place, not due to any, anything of us, but it's, it's all due to him. But he just moved in 
and taken over, where we used to think we couldn't live without this or that. Hadn't even thought about it in two or three months or five years. He's just moved in and he's taken over. Amen. Now that, that's, that's, the, that's the hope. That's where we've been. And, I, and, and you could go back and listen again to, to, to last week's study if you'd like to, to get some more of the depth of that. And we, we camped out on it. But I, I just, I've been taken to this passage in, in, in Mark, and it's, it's, it's a corollary uh, passage where the story is told uh, by Luke using a little different words, a little more insight, but it's the same story of, 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 a, of a woman who was sick, couldn't get well, and then a, then a, then a daddy who had a, had a daughter who was desperately ill, and what, and what Jesus did how he responded to them handing to him their key of hope. That's what's going on in this place, in these these two stories. There's there's a woman who doesn't have much left of her key of hope because she's tried all kinds of other things and they haven't helped. But she finds her way to Jesus. She hears about Jesus. She she comes to Jesus and she, she gives to Jesus her key of hope. Same thing with this daddy, with this real sick daughter, desperately ill, doesn't know what to do. He comes, he comes to Jesus with his key of hope. Am I talking to somebody this morning who may you you may not feel like you don't have a whole lot left on your on your key of hope? But you're hearing this today, and there's a reason you're hearing it today, and not and, and you hadn't missed it, or you've heard it in the past when it would mean something to you. There's a cry, I believe, from the heart of the Lord saying to somebody who's just down to the last nubbins of your key of hope and saying, bring that key of hope to me. Jesus is saying that to you. Bring me that key of hope and you watch what I will do. All right, so let's read down through this. If you'll just follow along, and this is Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side... A great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet and entreated him, begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him. Jesus went off with him. And a great multitude was following him and pressing in upon him. And a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. You know what the literal rendering of, we translated, the English translators put, I shall get well. You know what the literal word there is? I shall get saved. I shall be saved. If I can just touch him, I shall be saved. And immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body 
that she was healed. She was saved of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Do you remember last week when we were talking about that that section out of John chapter 16 where Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, my Spirit will not come to you. But he, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he says, he will convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Convict the world of sin Because the world isn't depending on me, counting on me, relying on me. The essence of faith is depending on Jesus. The essence of faith is relying on Jesus. So when he says here, your faith has made you well, he's saying the fact that you chose to depend on me, The fact that you chose to rely on me, on me, has made you well. And again, it's that word, has saved you. That that depending on me, that looking to me, bringing your key of hope, what's left of it to me, has saved you, has made you well. While he was still speaking, verse 35, they It came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. There's that word. Only depend on me. Only lean on me. Only count on me. You see, the context for the word faith is not just this generalized faith, just keep the faith, or just believe in God, or or just hope for the best. No. Jesus is saying, man, somebody needs to hear this. You just depend on me. You just lean on me. You just count on me. Jesus had heard everything that had been said. He's dead. She's she's dead. She's no longer sick. She has died. And in the face of that, in response to that report, to the daddy who's going to have to deal with this loss of a daughter or not, Jesus says to that daddy, don't be afraid anymore. You just count on me. You depend on me. You keep looking to me. 
And he allowed no one, verse 37, he allowed no one to follow with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official and and he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. The crowd began laughing at him, mocking him. It was a mocking kind of laugh. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. Don't say, He can't do it. Don't say he can't do it. I want to show you the parallel account of this, one of the the two others. Matthew and Luke also report this story. If you look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 45, we, we pick up the same account but told slightly differently. Verse 45, 8, Luke 8, 45. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me. For I was aware that power had gone out from me. Somebody did touch me. Because I was aware that power went out from me. Folks, there is a word to somebody's heart today. You can't get into the presence of Jesus and touch him with your need, with your heart, with your your praise without his power flowing out and flowing into you. One leads to the other. The the, the two are inextricably connected. You get in his presence, and his power touches you. You see, that's the problem with religion. Religion does not necessarily at all have the power to get us into the felt, measurable, known presence of Jesus. We can sing songs about him. We can, we, can, we can listen to sermons about him. But folks, if, we, if we're doing that, if we're going, going to all the trouble to get up and go to church and we don't feel the presence of Jesus, why didn't we just stay home? Why didn't we go to the lake and get in the boat? Religion has no power. to change a heart, to, to do any more than just give you some more hoops to jump through. But when there is the 
sense of the presence of Jesus. And, and that you have touched him. And, you, and then you have been touched by his presence. You're changed. You're changed. Why do we even have church exercises if when we get through them, there's no sense of the powerful presence of the living Jesus to encourage broken hearts, to raise up things that, are, that, that, that have, have, a, have a death quality to them. It doesn't mean that everything gets fixed immediately in every setting. But it means that you know somebody else is in the room that you can't see, but he's there. That it literally is true for the child of God, for the children of God. When Jesus would say, where two or three of you have gathered in my name, what? There I am in the midst of you. How can the one who stepped out on nothing and spoke everything into existence not be in the circle and nobody know it? If it's all about just a mental game, it's all about just an academic acknowledgement of something, then all of these verses about why the Spirit was poured out and why Paul would say, everybody had abandoned me. Everybody had left me. But the Lord stood with me. How did he know the Lord was standing with him? He felt the presence of the Lord standing with him. How could he say, I can do all things through the one who is giving me strength? Was he just acknowledging some biblical truths that God will help the weak and so forth? Or was it something that he was experiencing, that he was feeling rise up and flow through his heart and through his hands? I'm going to say, just say to you, it's more than an academic exercise. Jesus is more than a historical figure. His heart is to cause you to know his presence vividly and real enough so that you would have the sense that I can touch him. Someone did touch me. For I perceive that power, or I was aware that power flowed out from me. There is a verse, there is a principle that really runs throughout the scope of Scripture. Where, where, where and how do we find the felt presence of the Lord? He says, Behold, I inhabit the praises of my people. In other words, David would say, he sits enthroned upon shouts of praise. Can you go back to a time or times, maybe many times, 
when the room was filled with music. But the music morphed into something beyond just the sound of instruments and melodies and words being sung. As the praises went up, his presence filled the room. To say to you, my brother, my sister, if, you, if, if you're not really going through anything, if you know things are mostly good for you, and, and or, that this, this isn't going to move you because you, you may not even be drawn in the direction of, of, of needing for there to be a fresh touch from the Lord upon your life and to your heart. But if you're going through something, and, 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 and the nights can be long, and the, and, and the, 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 the month seems to run out before, or the money seems to run out before the, before the month runs out, and there are some pressing things, then the, the sense of, is, would, is it possible that I could know what it is like this woman knew what it was, that when I touched him, there was a response from who he really is and helped me. He says that he inhabits the praises of his people. Something happens, folks. When you set yourself apart from whatever may be coming against you and may be being said in the atmosphere, and you just determine, Lord, I'm going to bless your name. I'm going to praise who you are. I'm going to declare with my lips that you are king and you are Lord and you are my Savior and you are God. And there is a wonderful, fresh song that has recently been written to me saying, I've tasted your goodness. I'm trusting your promises. I will wait on you. So in the place of waiting, it's not the place of despondency. It's not the place of hopelessness. It's the place of worship. It's the place of praise. It's the place of scared declaring that he is the opposite of everything Satan's trying to get me convinced that he is. I choose to praise him. I choose to bless him. I choose to thank him. Now, if we're listening to somebody, something else, if we've given the key of trust away, then it's almost as if that, that makes absolutely no sense because we're convinced of the bad. We're convinced of the worst. We're convinced that it's impossible and never be changed. But if you found yourself having given that key of faith and dependency and trust and rescue away, but you find yourself now, Lord, I, I, I've given that to the wrong person. What's talking to me is hopelessness. What's talking to me is defeat. What's talking to me is that things will never change. But that's not the God of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that has its greatest crescendo. It has its, has its most wonderful backdrop in the context of things not changing, of things being difficult, of things taking us through maybe a long, dark night. But in that place, the God of hope causes us to believe. There's, there's joy and peace in believing. Sensing that that's what I want, then I confess the sin of giving the key of who I'm depending upon away, and I repent of that. I renounce agreement with that. And I, and I hand that key of hope and dependency and trust back to Jesus. And in the place of standing there with him holding the keys, then there's just can be just this release of worship, this release of gratitude, even before anything changes. 
There's something amazing going on in our country. There are many not-so-good things, but, but there are some good things. If, if, if what I'm saying to you is, is connecting, and, and again, I'm, I'm not talking to folks that, that you just want a little check-the-box Sunday morning time at church, because most things are pretty easy for you right now. This isn't going to make any sense. This won't connect. But, but my brothers and my sisters who know what, when Jesus would say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know their lack. Blessed are those who know the limit of their resources. Blessed are those who, and it may be physical, but it's emotional, spiritual. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of God. All right? But as we've said in, in years gone by, you can't have a kingdom without a king. The essence of the kingdom is the presence of the king. Jesus, at the end of teaching for 40 days, Acts chapter 1, he concludes the teaching on the kingdom of God for all those days by saying, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. That it would be his presence alive in them, not just the assignment, go and be my witness, but they would literally, legitimately be able to be his witness because he was alive in them. He was declaring who he was out through their lives. And we find it made abundantly clear again and again that it is his presence working in us at the place of our poverty, at the place of our need, at the place of our lack, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the manifest presence of the king. We get so filled up with other things, and we don't have that sense of need to depend upon him, and so that sense of his presence can fade. But the blessing of trouble, the blessing of lack, the blessing even of opposition is that it reminds us in short order of how poor in spirit we really are without him. And so at that place, at that place, his manifest presence and praising him. Back to our country. Something is happening, and it's a blessing, and it's a joy, and it's, a, it's one of those drinks of cool water on a long, hot day, for I believe, for the church. And, and I, I want you to write down, if, if, if you're hearing this and, and you, you need a fresh touch from the Lord and there would be a sense of, of longing for some encouragement, I want you to write down a couple of names. They're not going to, first one, not going to make a lick of sense. It doesn't seem like it's connected to anything spiritual. Maverick City. Write down Maverick City. Maverick City. Music. Then, then write down Elevation Worship. If you've got YouTube, you know where you find that. You go to YouTube and you type that in. And what's going to happen is there are going to be a whole series of songs. Now you're going to think, well, man, those are long songs. They are long songs. Some of them seven, eight minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes. It's a group of, it's a group of worship leaders, four, five, six of them. 
different races, different parts of the country. And those four or five worship leaders are surrounded by 75 or 100 other worshipers. And it's not up on a stage doing this. It's a circle. It's a circle. And, and, and these worship leaders, it's like if we turn the band and, and, and Josh and Zach, if we turn them all around where they're just, they're not playing to us. They're just playing to each other. The worship, the praise, the celebration, the spontaneity is just off the charts. It's such a blessing. It, it's, it's, a, it's a throwback to the 70s and the 60s and the Jesus movement. <laughs> Some of these ones who are leading in this stuff weren't even born when God broke through in the 60s and 70s with the Jesus movement. Shirley and I will sit for two hours at a time, and it may seem like it's no longer than 15 minutes, just it being involved in this. They, they've taped it. They've filmed it. But you, look, you watch these faces just lit with joy. And the musicians are very gifted and very skilled. But it's not, about the, it's not about their skill. It's about the sense of the Lord's presence in the place. These, here are a few names. Graves in the, in, the, in the gardens. We sing some of them here. But we, we're not able to do it like they originally did it where it's in the round, it's in a circle, and they're just singing to each other. <laughs> they're just getting each other fired up. It's like I love those times when we would host the, the uh, Baptist Citywide Revival and the Baptist Ministers Union for African-American Baptist churches, and I'm telling you, those preachers, and I'd sit right in the middle of the crew, and they, they, would, they, they would get to going, and the preacher up here would get to going, and they'd look at me and look at each other, and they'd just be doing this, just Blessing the Lord, praising the Lord. It's true. He does rescue the perishing and so forth and all that. That there's something about God's people. Instead of just being so stoic and so quiet and so, so immobile and so boring. That when the fire of God lights your heart. And from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, you sense his presence. You can't be normal. And ones who have a real problem with it, that kind of joy and celebration, they just hadn't tasted Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream. Some cheap wannabe substitute somewhere. That's all religion can give you. But I'm telling you, when the sense of his presence fills you, fills you, you are tasting something that you never get over and you never get enough and you always want to go back for more. That's knowing Jesus. That's not going to church. That's knowing Jesus. Now, the context certainly needs to be the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. We've we got to lose this business of worshiping a church or worshiping a pastor or a minister. Forget that. The Lord's jealous for the hearts of his people. And he will do whatever he needs to do to bring us back to himself. And that's what... That's what's happening in, this, in these words. They're doing it in different places around the country. You know, Carolina, Dallas, Maverick City, I think, is, is out of Dallas. And I don't know any of these people. I you know, don't know of them personally. But the, the, these songs like Graves in the Gardens, Mercy, Talking to Jesus, Jira, Million Little Miracles, you know, Fill the Room, Waiting on You. If you've got ear problems like I do, you can Google the words. And they'll come up. You can have the words. You can follow them through as they're singing. But I just need to tell you, 
If it wasn't for this to be just the normal little choir special and the, and, and the little order of serving, we'll get everything, this will just blow you away. You, won't, you may not even like it. <laughs> what they'll do? They, they get to singing and they go through the meat of the, of the teaching and, that they're blessed by and, and they'll sing that through, but then they're liable to just camp out for another five or 10 minutes on, I've tasted his goodness. I'm trusting his promise. And I'm going to wait on you. And then they'll start singing. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to wait on him. And they work that. And there's joy. And there's celebration. And it's outside the box. Now, why am I saying that? Why am I saying that? Because if all the Lord was ever talking about was just a rigid order of service, a, a, a predictable sermon, doing doing things that are very explainable, then the Holy Spirit would never have been needed to be poured out. But because he wants you to feel his presence in you, he poured out his spirit and he invites us, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me with your spirit. To touch him, you see, there are folks literally, I mean, it's happened here in Alamo City in seasons of our worship going up where a lady walks in, blind in one eye, able to see out of the other eye. She sits down as a part of the worship. We didn't have a healing line. We didn't want any of that. It just happened while she sat there that she started seeing out of the eye that she walked in not being able to see out of, and it had been in a deteriorated state for a long time. She walked down that hallway, covering up her good eye and walking out seeing with her bad eye. Happened in this room. The Lord honors the praises of his people. He sits enthroned upon shouts of praise. He inhabits the praises of his people. I'm saying that because, yes, there is a way to touch Jesus. There is a way to have the sense that he is real and he is here and that he's touching me. The Lord said, somebody did touch me. Now, there were all kinds of other people around him pushing up against him. But none of the others touched him like that woman touched him. Desperate. Her last hope. And Jesus was ready. He's ready today. He's ready today. He's ready today. He's ready today. Take that key of hope. Renounce where it's been. Confess where it's been. Bring that key of hope. What little is left of it, maybe, and you, you give it to Jesus. Lord, save me. Save me, too. Rescue me, too, Lord. Save me, too, as you did that woman. We go into that, the second star, the story, that was really the overreaching, overriding context, and He's on the way with Jairus to 
pray over the daughter to lay hands on the daughter. And this is when the woman came. So the woman gets well, and, and the journey continues to Jairus' house. Now, isn't this something? Everybody else said she's dead. Jesus said she's asleep, as if to say, watch this. When we get the reports, when we get the statements, when we get the diagnoses of what seems to be, and in the minds of one, that was, that was clear. If the girl's pulse had stopped, if she quit breathing, what else were they to conclude? But all of that is the conclusion without the interjection of Jesus and his presence and his ability and his power. I'm taking my key to Jesus. Now here's, I'm going to just kind of bring this to some sort of a conclusion. But which Jesus was it that was doing these things? If that's what he could do then, what can he not do now? Let me, let me show you what kind of Jesus this is, which Jesus this is. There is the Jesus who came to earth, and then there was the Jesus who left this earth and was restored to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Which Jesus is this? Look, look at, at Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Let me just read this. Now let this in. If he did all of these things recorded in the Gospels as the humbled Jesus, as the emptied Jesus, what can he not do? do now. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed, past tense, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, holding that position. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the earthly Jesus. That's the Jesus who healed Jairus' daughter. That's the Jesus who had enough power in him to know that when it departed, it was going for some good. That's the woman with the issue of blood. The blind seeing, the lame walking, even the dead being raised. That was this humble Jesus. Church, can you just say amen that you're letting that in? If he could do all of those things in his humble form, what can he not do now? So the rest of Paul continues. Therefore, on the basis of his humility, his emptying himself, obedient to the cross, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Find Ephesians chapter 1. Paul lives with this theme. Great was Jesus in his emptied form, but indescribable is he in his exalted Pray that the eyes of your heart, Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling of you. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now look at this. Watch this, please. And what is the surpassing greatness? The surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, that's present active, who are believing, who are believing. That believe way back yonder, will believe when I get to heaven, are believing. His, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who are believing. These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The disciples active in the book of Acts, could tell you the things that Jesus had done in his emptied, humbled human form. They saw the things that he did, but now, but now, he's been exalted. He's been raised from the dead. He's been exalted. They would be told, you will be clothed with power from on high. They would have his name to speak. And so Peter would say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. There would be demons rebuked. There would be healings that would come forth. That the dead would even be raised. And it was because of the name given to the church to speak. That is the exalted name of the exalted Savior. Knowing him as Savior In his humble form, his death on the cross, knowing the truths, knowing the things that he did, how amazing and wonderful those things are. But this will blow your hat in the creek. This will make your socks roll up and down inside your Tony Lamas. If this drops 18 inches, it's the exalted Christ who poured out his spirit of his own exalted self into the church on the day of Pentecost. So that we would share in the authority that he has been given, not to do our own will, but to do his will, but to do what he says the world needs, to declare what he says is the truth of God to the heart, and that we would walk in power. We would walk in the freedom from intimidation, and the prime example is how Peter and John stood and faced down the same ones who orchestrated the earthly death of Jesus, the Jewish leaders, to their faces, no longer fleeing, 
no longer coward, strong as a lion. Why? Because the spirit of the lion of the tribe of Judah was alive in them. You can't taste that and ever be the same again. We can drift away. We can lose our focus. But nothing will ever substitute for that felt sense of the king of glory alive in your heart. No matter what somebody says about you, the loudest voice to your heart is what he says about you. Others may predict the future. Others may come up with all the ration and the logic and the reasons as to why it's not going to work out. But the voice of the one who said to Jairus, stop being afraid. Just believe. Stop being afraid. Just depend on me. Stop being afraid. Just count on me. That one is working, speaking, and alive, and desires to bless us and refresh us. In, in, in the book of Acts, there is a, there is a statement that is, that is made by Peter and I'll finish, I'm going to just finish with this. But it's after the, the man had been healed, Acts 3, man at the temple gate, lame from his mother's womb, silver and gold, have I none? You remember that? And, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the exalted Jesus Christ. Not in the name of the earthly, crucified, humbled Jesus alone, but the full understanding of where he now is, who he now is, in the name of that Jesus, rise up and walk. And a crowd gathered, and he's explaining to them, it wasn't us, it was faith in the name of Jesus that accomplished it. But then he says in verse 19, Acts 3, 19, repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, repent, take the key back. Repent, return in order that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. His heart is to bless the renouncing of what we have been agreement with, retaking, reclaiming the keys, returning them to the rightful place, the Lord who died on the cross to save us and the one whom we desire and need to be, long to be our Lord in charge of everything. Hand him the keys and then the promise is seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Anybody here need a double dose of refreshing in the presence of the Lord? Boy, I, I want that. I need that. That's the heart of the Lord. That's the heart of the Lord. That's the heart of the Lord. Don't you say he can't do it. Don't you say, oh, that was all those years ago when I knew those things about God. I don't know those things. He, he, you know, I'm not where I was then. He knows that. 
But here's what he's saying. You repent and you return and I will bless you with seasons of refreshing in my presence. In my presence. In my presence. In my presence. Do you hear what I'm saying? In my presence. In my presence. The old Puritans would use a term the manifest presence of the Lord. They would say, He is everywhere present, but He is not everywhere manifestly present, felt in His presence. That was a theology. That was a, that was a pursuit that strongly influenced Jonathan Edwards, who was the congregational pastor in the 1730s, who led in what came to be known as the first great awakening in this country. <laughs> and it was all about the sense of the Lord showing up when the church gathered or when the preaching would go on. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. You thirst for that. You long for that. You worship in order to encourage that. And you, you watch the kind of person you will become by His Spirit alive inside you. Amen? Amen. Lord, we ask you, pour out your spirit, please, upon every heavy, lonely, sad heart where the key has just been worn down to a stub. We've tried it in so many different places. Lord, if there's just a little bit left, we're making the choice. We're bringing that key of hope to you. Take it, Lord. We return to you. We repent of giving it away to all other kinds of sources and resources that had failed us. And we bring that key of hope. We bring that key of dependency, that key of reliance, that key of faith and trust. We bring it back to you. And Lord, we ask you for a season of refreshing to be poured out upon your people who will take these steps. Seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Amen, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand with me, please, as we close? Blessings to all of you who have been a part of our streaming family today. Wherever you are, we just thank you for taking the time to be here. And all those of you in this room who had to plan ahead and Get up and get clothed and in your right mind to drive across town to be a part physically, visibly with us. Bless you for making that choice. And I pray you're going to be walking out of here sensing, yeah, Jesus was there. Yeah, I felt his presence. I felt his sense speaking to my heart, encouraging my heart. Sensed his presence in the praises. Hopefully sensed his presence as he spoke his word to your heart. It's his presence. If everybody else has turned on you, but you know in your heart Jesus has not left you, you will survive all manner of abandonment when you understand who he is. It's not the humble Jesus anymore. It's the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords who has everything underneath his feet. Prayer partners, if you'll join us here and if we can pray with you those of you in the room if something going on we pray with you are the things we've talked about this morning Lord make it real Lord make it real we'd love to pray with you 
And especially at that place, that foundational initial, the, the, the doorway in, if you've never done it before, is the best you can. You just say, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, I, I depend upon you. I'm asking you, I'm asking you to save me. He knows what that means. He knows what that's involved with in your life. Just like the lady, just like this daddy, they needed Jesus to rescue them. Ask him, give to him your key of hope and watch what he'll do in his timing and his way. Amen. God bless you. I, I, I want to ask you to do something that you, if, if you have the freedom to do it, I know somebody ought to do it anyway. If you see somebody who's in here with a mask on, just let's, let's do the distance there. But if you're around some folks that are just here that you've been sitting next to and, and you just like to shake their hand or, heaven forbid, hug their neck, you know, the, the body of Christ needs to be able to touch. We need to be able to connect some way. So, so just as you're led to do, we're not, we're not putting this on anybody, but, but you come this way, if we can pray with you, or just speak a word of encouragement word of greeting, word of blessing to those around you as you leave, if, if you have that in your heart to do, okay? God bless you. God bless you. Amen.